The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Barron's Live, our daily webcast and podcast. I'm Lauren Rublin, Senior Managing Editor of Barron's. Thanks for joining us today to learn more about what's driving the markets and different stocks. My guest is Barron's Deputy Editor, Ben Levison. Welcome back to Barron's Live, Ben. Thanks, Lauren. It's great to be here. Good to be online with you again. So let's start with the market today. Stocks are up 13% this year as measured by the S&P 500, but we can't help notice that last week wasn't a good one for investors. The S&P fell 1.4%, snapping a five-week winning streak, as our colleague Al Root reported in the Trader column. The NASDAQ, which has done much better, also fell last week about 1.4%, and it snapped an eight-week winning streak. So what do you make of these setbacks? Are they just a pause that refreshes as the old as the old advertisement goes? Or do you see some cause for concern here? We haven't seen this in a while. Yeah, it, ha- it has been a while. You don't usually get uh, a winning streak of, uh, you know, five weeks, uh, let alone eight. Um, it, it doesn't happen uh, all that often. Um, so I do think more than anything that uh, the market was just due for uh, a bad week. Um, we look at uh, at what, what the news last week, there wasn't much. Um, there was really kind of a news vacuum with a little bit in the way of earnings from the likes of the FedEx, but nothing to get terribly excited about. Um, and so the market uh, just, I think people felt a little bit like it was time to take profits. It also didn't help that the Fed, uh, Powell, uh, his testimony to Congress and some of the governors were out talking about um, the uh, talking about uh, rate hikes or where rates needed to go, and they sounded pretty hawkish doing that. And so the market, uh, you know, looked at where it had been and where it had gone, and figured, you know what, this is not a bad time uh, to take some profits. And it really wasn't. I mean, this, I'm going to throw a stat at you, but this we could be headed for a third straight monthly gain of five percent or more which is wild. That's more impressive than those weekly stats that uh, I, I threw I'll, out. I'll grant you that, Ben. You're absolutely right there. Um, and that, again, makes you think, okay, the, the market has to pull back. But if you look at, uh, you know, this actually happened um, not so long ago. The market actually had a five-quarter streak of 5% gains from the second quarter of 2020 to the second quarter of 2021. Um, I'm, I'm not expecting that again. I was a crazy period coming out of the uh, the, the COVID uh, bear market there. Um, but you can have these kinds of gains when when things shift. And, you know, of course, the big one is AI. That's That's been a huge shift. But there's more going on there. Um, I think part of it is that uh, even with the Fed being hawkish last week, people, the market is looking at the Fed and thinking rate hikes are coming to an end soonish, even if it's there are a couple more hikes as uh, was kind of priced into the, the Fed last week. Um, you know, it's uh, it, or when the Fed had its uh, FOMC meeting that, you know, that, that's not the end is is close. Um, we also have been watching, you know, how the economy is doing. And on the surface, at least, it looks like the impact 
impact of all the hikes the Fed has done since uh, March of 2022 hasn't crushed the economy yet. It's proven to be quite resilient. Um, and, you know, so all that, you put it together and you get a market that is looking much stronger now, um, you know, that, than it did uh, certainly a, um, a year ago. So we like to talk in this call about technical indicators as well as the fundamentals, the technicals being what the chart formations are telling us about buying and selling pressure and so forth. So how does the market look to you from a technical perspective? Um, well, as I said before, the, the pullback came just about where you would have expected it to. Um, if you go back to the October low, um, the market's really been in a in an uptrend in a pretty wide channel, meaning that uh, you could kind of draw a line and then uh, draw three lines, one through the middle, one off the highs and one off the lows, and you get this, this channel that moves up. And... Um, not last week, but the week before when the, the market hit about, uh, I think it was over 4,300, um, you know, it, it hit the uh, um, it hit the top of this channel. Um, and, you know, now it, it's, it has come down from that a bit. The, the support, the bottom of this channel is going to be around 4,200 or so. Um, it, the interesting thing, though, is when you... Uh, so, so, so I would say right now what we're seeing is noise within this channel. Um, um, there's a... a um, technical analyst named Frank Capillary um, at uh, Cap Thesis, and he's been pointing out that you know one of the things that he'd like to do, and this was in response to volatility where he kept getting um, shook out of the market. Um, you know, you get this kind of volatility that uh, you know you have a big move to the upside, he'd cover uh, you know cover short, and then all of a sudden it would reverse down. He started to do something where he would count patterns. Um, so he'd look at the bullish patterns and the bearish patterns, and he would he would count those, and but he would also look at which ones were working. And right now, he's finding that the bullish patterns, when they start to show up, they are working. The bearish patterns will show up, but there's no follow through there. And so as long as that continues to be the case, he sees more upside uh, to something around, you know, says the next target would be about 4450, and then you reevaluate. Um, and so, um, you know, for, from a technical standpoint, we're still in this in, in this space where nothing has really turned outright bearish yet, though there is some concern, um, though, and, and even uh, Ed Yardeni, who, you know, we talk to, we read a lot of his stuff, you know, he's pointing out that you've had this pullback, but also that the fundamentals are still looking good, uh, and that if you can get a, we've had a third higher high now, we hear about this a lot from technicians, they'd like to see higher highs and higher lows, so this last rally gave us a third higher high, now he would see if the pullback gives us a third higher low, and if it does, that's just another argument that the market could keep moving higher. So Ben, let me understand this. I want to I want to get your take on it. If the market is starting to rally in anticipation that the Fed is done with rate hikes, does this mean no recession, no bear market? Could the market keep going to S and P ten thousand? I mean, what's going to stop this, if anything? Well, I mean, it's a market. The markets don't go up um, straight up. They don't go, you know, they usually don't go straight down. COVID might have been a uh, um, you know, it we have did for a while there. Yes, it did. And it did during uh, when the Lehman Brothers uh, um, went under. But, uh, you know, they do find uh, support eventually. Um, it's, you know, the, the market just you have to the, the market. I think the, the best way to, to think about it is the way Jack Howe always talks. The market usually goes up. Um, you know, it's, it's the reason they say stocks for the long term. 
Um, and it's also the reason that perhaps the best way of investing is just to put your money into an S&P 500 uh, index fund. Um, and, you know, the, however much you want to have in the stock market and you just let it ride and you don't watch. Um, you know, you'll go through bad periods like 2008 or uh, like 2020 or even like last year where it's very ugly. Um, but over the long term, the market just goes up. And I think that's the important thing to remember here. And when I say the market, I mean the U.S. stock market, because we have plenty of examples of markets that haven't uh, gone up uh, or even markets that have ended. If you look at, you know, um, this is one of my favorite historical facts. But if you go back to the uh, turn of the 1900s, you know, the early 1900s, the U.S. was an emerging market. Russia was an emerging market. China was an emerging market. They all looked equally good. Um, you know, the Russian Revolution put an end to the stock market there. Um, World War II and, and uh, um, the rise of the Communist Party in China did the, the same thing in China for a long time. And the United States has uh, been the one that's just kept growing. And so perhaps that ends at some point. Um, but I think the big thing is you have to remember the market goes up. And so we could talk about these um, these up and down moves uh, from a trading perspective, from thinking about how to time your entries and exits into the market. Um, but the market is usually going to go up. So you don't want to be too bearish. Um, right, and you don't want to be out of the market. You don't want to be out of the market. So you like my, my favorite folks are people like Jim Jim Stack um, at Investec Research, who always has, um, you know, who has a range of where the, the, the stock positions are. Um, I think it's like 40 percent uh, um, invested in stocks on the low end and up into the, the 70s or something like that on the, on the high end. Um, depending on what his indicators are, are saying. Um, and, and so I, I think that's partially what, what you have to think about here is like um, when we're looking at the market, is it going to 10,000? You know, probably um, not tomorrow. Um, it's going to take a while to get there. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it, it will double again at, at some point because it, it has uh, before and it usually does. Um, and we're going to have these moments where we're, we're freaked out over different things and um, where you don't, I think the, the biggest thing is that you just don't want to get overly enthusiastic at the highs. Um, you know, the, the worst people have a tendency to do. Exactly. I mean, you, when, like I got lucky because I said at the, at the top of the market in 2022, I said, look, this is too expensive. It's time, time to get bearish. But more than anything, it was a time just not to be rushing into stocks going, oh, my God, I'm going to miss this. I'd better get in because you got crushed if you did that. Um, but at the same time, after a 20 and this has also been my mistake, after a 25 percent drop in the market, you want to be thinking about getting a little more aggressive, even if there's more downside, just because the odds start to suggest that you do get upside. And now we're in a market where, you know what, I, it looks like the market wants to go higher. But you can also um, make the case that the technicals are going to shift at some point and you're going to get another downturn of what, 5%, 10%? Um, very possible if things really start to get bad, you can get another bear market. Um, but right now, that's not what it looks like. Right now, if you look at it from a technical perspective um, and from the way earnings are looking um, and things like that, you're seeing a market that is much stronger than it was a year ago. But again, we're up 20% from the October low. So a lot of good news has already been priced into the market. And so yeah. you would expect the gains to be much smaller from here. So I want to ask you one question about recession, and then we'll go on to some companies reporting earnings this week. So far, the Fed has managed to avoid tipping the economy into recession, as you mentioned. People think of a soft economic landing as something mythical, but we can't really rule it out. 
I'm curious, what sorts of recession indicators are you watching and what should investors watch to try to gauge whether the economy is strengthening or weakening substantially? Um, you know, I think the there's there's so much that is already weak. Um, things like the uh, ISM manufacturing index has been weak for such a long time. The yield curve has been inverted for such a long time that you've had uh, leading indicators have been going straight down for a long time, uh, many many months in a row. Um, and so you look at that, and you have to think that uh, you know most of the ones that you would normally look at um, have already signaled recession. I, I think what's happening this time is that you do have a job market that's holding up. And if there's one area that you have to watch very closely, it is, uh, it is I think, jobless claims more than anything right now. Um, you, you've had changes in the jobless claims when you, you don't want to look at it on a, on a weekly basis, but like a four-week average have been very good uh, signals uh, um, for when a recession really is going to start. And what we've seen is that um, you, you had a 12-week period where the jobless claims, the four-week average was uh, you know, between 230 and 240,000. The last three weeks have seen the um, have have seen jobless claims of around 260,000. So that's meaningfully higher. And if you keep seeing that number remain high and keep moving higher, I think that's something that you do have to start worrying about. And also, we want inflation to drop, but we don't want it to drop too fast because if it drops too fast, that could also be a sign that growth is weakening very quickly. Right. That would definitely be an issue. So let's talk about earnings. We've got second quarter earnings coming up next month. We're going to get a rush of them. Give me, before we get into some companies, an outlook for the second quarter and for the rest of the year. What's on the horizon earnings wise? Sure. So, you know, earnings have not been good and they're going to remain not good this quarter. Um, they're expected to drop 5.6%. Um, when companies really start reporting, that'll come, uh, you know, kind of this, the second week of July about there. Um, and there's a lot, um, you know, it's, it's, it's still the same kind of weakness that we've been seeing um, during the first quarter and towards the end in the fourth quarter of, of uh, 2022 as well. But the interesting thing is that earnings revisions are starting to move higher. Um, and there are actually signs that the areas of the markets that you want to see that, that will carry the market being tech, communication services, and consumer discretionary uh, on a market cap weighted basis, they're the ones that are going to really be, have to, uh, that have been carrying the market. They've seen their earnings revisions go up. Um, tech in particular, tech's sales and earnings were lagging. Um, over the uh, past uh, um, five quarters, um, they were they were worse than the S and P 500. Over the next five quarters, though, uh, tech should be actually stronger on both of those than the S and P 500. And I think that explains why tech has been so strong recently. Um, but if they those companies can continue to offer the guidance that suggests that those revisions should keep coming and that the earnings are going to be strong, um, I think that could do a lot for the stock market going ahead. Which fits in with the bullish thesis of the moment. So now let's take a look at some of the companies reporting this week. Walgreens Boots Alliance, the giant drugstore chain, reports on Tuesday. The stock has done terribly pretty much since 2018. Can we hope for some positive news at last? Deutsche Bank thinks so. I mean, it's. Okay. Uh, <laughs> um, I mean, it, this stock has been so bad. Um, 
you know, it's it's you go ahead. Um, I think everybody here knows that, you know, analysts are generally very bullish. They do not like to put sells on stocks. They're even reluctant a lot of the time to go to hold, um, but, but not with um, not with Walgreens. So if you look at Walgreens, there are um, let me see 17 analysts covering the stock um, and you have two that have overweight ratings on it. You have 13 that have hold, and you have another two that have sells. Um, this is not a popular stock. Uh, it is really hard to get people to say good things about it. That gets uh, me interested in it, though. It, it does, doesn't it? And that's yes, where Deutsche Bank, Deutsche Bank got, uh, th th caught my attention because they did something called, uh, they have a catalyst, um, they, they, they do catalyst calls where they see something coming that they think is going to be a catalyst for buying or selling a stock. And they put a catalyst buy rating on the stock last week heading into uh, tomorrow's earnings. This will be Tuesday's uh, earnings. I think it's in the morning. Um, and they basically see that the, the risk, the stock has gotten hit so hard that the risk reward is uh, skewed sharply to the upside. That's their words. Um, um, and if they can hit their profitability targets in both their pharmacies and the care delivery businesses, um, they actually think that the stock has a long uh, term multiple expansion ahead of it. Um, and so it's one where, yeah, that uh, you have to think at some point um, it's 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 going to bounce. And they think that this might be that moment. Um, the one thing I would like to remind people, though, is that it has, you know, they're trying to catch falling knives, um, you know, Stocks can remain cheap for longer than we can remain solvent a lot of the time. If it keeps dropping, it keeps dropping, and that's hard. Um, but we'll see how how well this Deutsche Bank call goes. But if it if we this stock does start to turn, there probably is a fairly decent runway ahead of it. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it does pay to be contrarian. So let's look at Jeffrey's Financial next. This ticker is JEF. The company also reports on Tuesday. This has been a very tough year for financial deal makers like Jefferies. Just look at the troubles and the layoffs at Goldman Sachs. What are we going to learn from Jefferies about the quarter just passed and the rest of the year and the state of the M&A market? Well, it's it's going to be. I hate to say it's going to be interesting because but we probably know a lot of what, as you mentioned, a lot of what it's going to say. Um, you know, Oppenheimer came out and basically said, look, it's not going to be a great quarter for banking. Um, and we know that. Uh, we know that, um, you know, M&A is down a lot. Um, it looks like, uh, you know, Oppenheimer's stat is about uh, M&A in total is down 50 to 60 percent. Um, and uh, DealLogic actually has a uh, company specific estimate. So I assume that means for Jefferies, it would suggest about 10 percent quarter over quarter. Um, There's some reasons to think that DealLogic might be uh, too pessimistic because it doesn't always capture some of the private transactions. Uh, but that that's probably right. The, what should help, though, is that trading uh, should uh, th their quarter includes March. And that's when SBB went bust. And so that's uh, going to help with the trade revenue and there's actually been a decent amount of high yield underwriting going on um, and so that's going to help as well and and so you put that all together and you take the stock and it's down you know about four point it's down 4.1 percent so far this year you know if they can top their numbers there's actually might be some decent upside here but i also think that you know the reason people watch jeffries is not because jeffries is such a, a great you know such a popular stock but because it's going to tell us about things like goldman sachs like morgan stanley and the investment banks out there and maybe uh what how their business is gonna uh what their business is gonna look like when they start to report um in in july sort of the canary in the coal mine 
they really are. Or maybe they're going to be the canary flying out of the coal mine and showing <laughs> that things are better. We will see. All right. Too many metaphors there. So yes. let's talk about Nike, another big name reporting this week. The sneaker market has gotten hotly competitive in the U.S., as you know. China is also a big part of Nike's story. And Nike's stock, meanwhile, has been running in place for the past year. It's not really done very much. Yeah. What could ignite the stock again, and what do you expect to hear this week? Well, Nike has had so many problems, um, and it, it's hard to know where to start. Let's start with their inventory. Um, they they basically made too many shoes uh, during COVID, um, and uh, they, they, they couldn't sell them all, so they've been discounting a lot in order to uh, sell shoes. So, like, my, my, my kids, uh, they like to play basketball, and my son likes to just wear Nike shoes outside, out and about, and we never play, uh, sorry, we never pay full price. We go on to uh, the Nike app. Um, we look at what's on sale, and there are some really big markdowns, and we get him, you know, we get them shoes. Um, and the, the question has become how long it's going to take to work through all of what is, uh, you know, all these these issues um, at Nike. Um, one of the things that Nike had been doing was shifting its business from the wholesale model that that is using places like Foot Locker and other um, and other sellers to as a place to go get Nike shoes to this more direct consumer, where it's either at a Nike store or through the app and the website um, to buy shoes. And Nike has uh, now um, announced that they're going to actually be selling shoes at places like Macy's, where they hadn't been for a while. And this it's brought up a debate at this point about is is this direct consumer strategy not working as well as um, people thought? Is it having to make shifts? Has it just become another way for them to get rid of this excess inventory? Is that what it's going to use um, the wholesale channel for? It, it's it's hard to know. Um, on top of that, you have to throw in uh, what's going on with China, where China looked like it was going to have a really nice uh, economic recovery. Um, and, um, but now that's been called into question. And if you look at, uh, the at Nike stock, and I wish I had a, a chart to show everyone, um, there was a period there where you could put Nike stock next to, um, the, uh, MSCI or the iShares MSCI China ETF. And they basically followed the same pattern. When when China went down, Nike went down. When China went up, Nike went up. Nike went uh, was a little bit better than those. Um, and there was a point where China started to go down again, but Nike held up. But then Nike caught up, and it's on these concerns now in the, about the U.S. and this direct uh, uh, to consumer channel. Um, and so you would want to see China do better, but it's again, it's hard to know um, if uh, you know China's trying to stimulate the uh, economy, but it's kind of half-hearted. And I'm, I'm trying to figure out if I'm being too pessimistic or actually I'm being too optimistic about China's economy, thinking they'll do what it takes to get things going or maybe they won't. And uh, in that case, uh, you would expect Nike to get hurt. And the last point is what you said about competition. Um, one of our better stock picks in the last uh, you know 12 months or so uh, was when Teresa Rivas picked uh, Decker's Outdoor. Um, and I believe they're the maker of Uggs. Um, yeah. And, Yes, but they also make this uh, this other shoe, this running shoe that's been very popular called Hoka, um, and you know it's brands like that and brands like even New Balance. New Balance weren't hip when I was a kid, um, but apparently New Balance are uh, are doing uh, well now too. And so you're getting all this. And don't forget on sneakers; they're very um, yes. Uh, you know we, we've been hearing about them too, and so you're seeing so much 
um, competition, that that has the potential to hurt Nike too. And so while it's it's tempting to look at the stock here and think, you know what, you know, why not uh, why not buy it uh, on this on this dip? Or you know, it's it's a very you know it's a pretty quality company. It's still possible that uh, it, it's not that moment yet. I'm saying that, of course, now that's going to have a, a great number on uh, I think Thursday and it's going to go rallying. But uh, we'll see what happens. Well, the next time we're online, we can talk about it again then. Yes. So we did have a profile of Decker's Outdoors CEO in this past weekend's top CEOs issue, partly because of the success of Hoka's. Let's talk very quickly about the brawl in the beer market. And then we'll move on to some listener questions. I'm talking about Constellation Brands, which has the U.S. rights for Modelo, which just became the best-selling U.S. brand in the U.S. The company is reporting earnings on Friday. Yeah, I mean, this the. I mean, I just find the whole Bud Light thing interesting because usually you get these um, uh, these kind of controversies erupt, right? And then they blow over, and it doesn't really impact sales and this is one of the first times where I can remember that you've had one of these um, cultural controversies and, uh, and, and it's actually led to a, a real big drop in Bud Light sales. Um, and that that's helping other, other beer brands. You've seen a, a couple upgrades to uh, Molson Coors um, over this, and it actually appears to be helping, um, helping Constellation brands as well. Constellation is, um, they have the uh, the rights, the U.S. rights to Modelo and Corona, and uh, you know Modelo is one of the biggest selling beers here, and it's a it's a pretty both of those together and some of their other beers. It's a pretty big opportunity for um, for Constellation brands, um, and so you know, there's there's been a lot of good news, and so the bar is pretty high for Constellation heading into the print. Um, you know, it's up four point six percent this year. It's down 1.3% over the past 12 months and nothing spectacular. But what um, UBS has pointed out is that, um, you know, the stock, you know, 20 times um, seems like it's expensive um, and that's next 12 months earnings per share. It's actually at a pretty dig big discount to um, other uh, consumer products peers, um, the, the higher growth ones. And so if the growth there really is accelerating, um, the stock actually has a, a lot of room to run. Um, and this Bud Light uh, controversy is just another thing that can help it there. Okay, I, before we go on to questions, I do wanna ask you about Russia, Ben. We were both glued to the TV this weekend watching the extraordinary events occurring in Russia. So far, they've had no impact on the financial markets. Why is that? And what should investors know about this? I wish I knew. Um, I mean, I, I wish I knew what investors should know. I mean, I can explain. Nothing changed over the weekend. You know, we had this, uh, you know, this drama. Um, it ended. Not many shots were fired. Um, and, and the most important thing is that it doesn't look like supply chains for commodities were disrupted. Um, and as long as commodity prices aren't moving, you know, aren't as long as it looks like Russian oil will still get to where it's going and grains and metals will get to where they're going, 
um, the markets can shrug it off. Um, and they're really, I, I think, for all intents and purposes, we, we can talk um, for hours about what this means and, and all that. And I think I did this weekend. Um, but the market hasn't been able to, didn't price anything on this. Um, there's a little weakness in the ruble. Um, I, I don't know if everyone remembers, but when Russia first invaded Ukraine, you know, the, the ruble plunged in value. Um, and then it spiked. Um, and actually went much higher than where it was. And finally, it sort of settled in and it's been settling into kind of a downtrend. Now, it, with what happened over the weekend, the ruble fell to what would be a new low since that initial volatility. So I think uh, it's about a 15 month low for the ruble. Um, but, you know, the ruble, no one's it's it's not a global currency. It, it, it doesn't really matter that all that much. And the, it wasn't huge volatility. It was just a little. And so I think what the market is saying is that there was a sound and fury, but it didn't amount to much at all. And so it's it's looking past it. Um, and I guess we have to do that, too. And I'll leave the other comments to people who know a lot more about the situation than I do. You have a point there. So but it is fascinating. So let's go to some listener questions. We had a question from Lee with a lot of Supreme Court decisions looming. Do you feel that the political outfall from these decisions, whatever they may be, could disturb the market for the medium term? Or do you think our political environment has little effect on stock valuations? Ooh, that last part is, is the the hardest one for me. I used to think that's the that, big question. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I used to be one where I, I, I would just ignore politics. Uh, almost entirely the only thing that really mattered when we saw this when uh you know you, you might get a, a jump um you know if around certain outcomes like oh you get a little bit of a boost uh to earnings est- i mean it all goes back to earnings so you know if there's something a tax cut for for corporations and you can actually adjust your sp- if analysts can adjust their spreadsheet and change their earnings and raise those forecasts or lower those forecasts you get a reaction uh in the market but for the most part it's just politics. Um, and but there are a lot of these decisions which have the potential to um, to shake things up. But, you know, and, and so with the, the ones specifically on student loans, you know, there are going to be people who had a lot of extra money to spend who are now going to have to start paying their loans and they will that will, money will go to to the loan payments rather than to discretionary payments. And it will be interesting to see how that uh, impacts, you know, consumer spending on, on those other things and whether that's enough to, you know, the consumer really has been holding up the economy. So is it enough to to hurt things? And I don't know. I don't know if it's a big enough group or not, but I would suspect that there's going to be a lot of noise around it, but that is probably the markets, you know, it, it's pretty obvious what's coming. And so I think the market has probably already started adjusting for it and it, it won't come as a surprise. Okay, next question comes from Howard. He wants to know your opinion of drug investing or your opinion of the drug industry and investment opportunity there. He notes that the Inflation Reduction Act proved the pharma industry a curveball. Now you've got some pharma companies suing the government. Another political issue that's also a business issue. Yes, I would say listen to our uh, Thursday call with uh, Josh Nathan Cases because he's going to know a lot more about this than I do. Um, I, I mean, I think it's really just looking for the, the companies right now with the successful drugs. Um, and, uh, you know, it's uh, Eli Lilly has done so well. Novo Nordisk has done so well. Pfizer has not. Um, 
and uh, others have been kind of in between, like Merck. Merck looks looks interesting, um, and, and I think and uh, there's there's just a lot that you have to be careful with uh, with drug makers. But if they have good drugs, the stocks are probably going to do do well, regardless of the political outcome. They've been very out of favor. And they have. That suggests change. They can't get much lower, in other words. So, some of them can. Yep. Some of them. That's true. So. Now let's um, let's talk about home building. Krauschek asks, "What is the outlook for the home construction industry considering high mortgage rates?" Uh, so far, they seem to be doing okay. Um, you know, if you just look at the the stock charts, um, they're 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 they've done very well. Um, like the uh, XHB, which is the Spider S P Home Builders ETF, um, I believe, is at a 52-week high. Uh, it's not an all-time high. That occurred back in uh, 2022, but it's made back about, uh, I'm going to just eyeball the chart here and say about two-thirds of its losses. Um, I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that there isn't a lot of inventory. I can't remember where I read it, but that, you know, apparently inventory is near its lowest level ever. Um there just aren't a lot of houses to buy. Um, people don't want to move, uh, rightfully so, because they have low mortgages and um, you know they have good prices, uh, low mortgage rates and good prices on their houses. And since housing prices haven't dropped all that much, you'd still have to pay a lot for a house. Now you'd have to pay a lot more with the rates. So people who have houses aren't moving. So that leaves the, the new home builders as the place where you go if you want to buy a house. Um, and so I think they are adapting and they're feeling pretty decent about it. Um, Again, have they uh, priced in too much of this? Uh, that I don't uh, of a recovery. I don't know. Their valuations are starting to get you know back to their 2022 peaks. Um, if you're just looking at XHB, um, but uh, maybe rightfully so. So um, we'll just have to see. All right, I want to bring up a question from Frank. It's not. It's um, it's a question, but a statement that I think is is worth pondering. He asks, why is there never a mention of the quality of earnings? After all, there is a great deal of flexibility with gap accounting and adjusted EBITDA, and firms that focus on this topic aren't as bullish as Wall Street is about the outlook for stocks. What do you make of that, Ben? Um, you know, I, I think that you have to, when, it, when talking about stocks for the long run, quality is, I think, a great way to invest. And it, it does get a lot of, a, a lot of talk. Um, you know, quality is uh, is a factor that the factor people are looking at. Um, it's something that, you know, we talk about a lot, too. Um, but I think you also have to remember that um, when you're trying to think about when to buy and sell things, um, you, you want to be able to get um, stocks when they are, um, you want to be able to to buy things when they're fairly valued versus um, you know overpaying for them regardless of whether they are uh, quality or, or low quality there's you know a time to buy uh, high beta if you're kind of a trader or a shorter term investor you know when you when the you're at the bottom of a bear market buying high beta stocks um, is actually a, a fairly good thing to do um, you know they usually outperform a lot off off of a bottom um, quality is going to usually outperform pretty well over a full cycle, though you might underperform when risk is, is really on. And so I, I think that's part of it is like one thing you do is you just you watch your quality stocks and you try to buy them when they're out of favor. And so one that Barron's did was um, we recommended, um, I think we had Costco. It was Costco, I want to say, never gets cheap. So you, you have to just be aware 
of um, that, you know, you're always going to seem to be overpaying for it. But we were pretty content when it had pulled back in, I think it was close to in December, the end of November, something around those lines this year. Um, you know, it had fallen a lot and, you know, we felt comfortable picking it up there because we just thought, okay, it looks like it's in a range. It's it's a quality stock that you're not going to get too many surprises and we're just willing to buy it there and hold. And it's, and it's turned out okay. And I think that's what you want to do with quality stocks. You want to look, identify them. You want to wait for them to get hit for whatever reason it is. I mean, a great time to have bought Costco would have been back in, uh, um, I think it was May of uh, 2022 when the market uh, had that first leg down of, of the bear. It would have been a fantastic time to buy it. But that's when you want to buy kind of quality stocks. Because you're right, those are the things that you end up wanting to, as long as they can stay quality, and a lot of them do, um, you just want to hold forever. But I, I agree with Frank when he talks about, excuse me, adjusted EBITDA. You want to know what it's been adjusted for, if it's been adjusted to remove all the bad stuff that really is germane and material to a company's performance. You want to be careful there. So it, right. is, it is good to know how earnings are so, so-called constructed. Right. So, and you uh, want to, but I, I just, I do want to interject that there are uh, people will be saying, oh, you know, if you adjust for this and you adjust for that, then the earnings are, are bad and the market should sell off. And that's a favorite bear argument. And I, I think it makes a lot of sense when analyzing um, individual companies. I'm not sure it makes a ton of sense um, when analyzing the market, perhaps except when, you know, watching what's happening with the gap between the two, uh, between gap and, and adjusted. Um, if it's, there, there was a point there where actually uh, gap earnings were, um, were were higher than the adjusted ones, which I found interesting, um, mm-hmm. just because of different things that went into the adjusted. So as you said, you have to um, know what the adjustments are if you're looking at an individual company, but I'm not entirely sure how useful they are when trying to look at the market as a whole. That's a good point. Good distinction. So I'm going to close with a question from Lee, who asks us red light, yellow light, or green light for the market for the rest of the calendar year. I I wish I knew. Um, <laughs> no, th- this has been a, a, just a really difficult market for me, um, as I think anyone who listens to this call knows, because I do look at the things that should be you know, that have had historical accuracy to a certain degree, and they just haven't worked all that well from the yield curve where you certainly you should have had a recession by this point. Um, and, and you haven't um, and things like that. And now we've had this this rally and it's been driven by, uh, you know, the tech stocks and tech adjacent stocks. Um, but that doesn't change the fact that the market is still up a lot. Um, doesn't matter how it goes up. It went up. Um, and so I think you have to, at this point, go with the trend, which is higher. Um, when that trend starts to change, um, you get more bearish. But you also don't want to be going like green light all uh, all clear because, you know what, there's still a lot of bad stuff out there. And we still could, you know, get a, a Fed uh, that hikes too much and really does break things. Or there could be more banking turmoil that we don't know about. There's just a lot of what ifs there. So, you know, if I'm thinking about that, you know, 40 to let's call it uh you know, 40 to 70 range on my equity outcome. Maybe I'm at, uh, at 60 and, uh, and or 55 or 60 and leave it there. Well, I was going to say yellowish green, which is, I think, the color scheme you arrived at. Yeah, I think, I think that's probably right. It's sort of bullish, but be aware of where the problems could be and the prices you pay. Yeah. 
So let's leave it there. Thanks for the questions, everyone. Thank you, Ben, for your wonderful insights today. And thanks to everybody for tuning in. I want to welcome you back to Barron's Live tomorrow. Darren Fonda, a managing editor at Barron's, will be speaking with David Kelly, chief global strategist at J.P. Morgan Asset Management. They'll be looking at the impact of the Fed's latest moves. Should be an interesting call. Thanks again, everyone. Stay well and have a good day. The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.